I can't say that I totally thought through how I was going to kind of transition out of this moment now, but I, I will do my best. I promise that those videos will make sense here in, in just a minute. But honestly, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, uh, whatever other holiday greeting you can kind of think of. We're so glad, uh, as has already been said, that you are here today. Uh, I recognize that on today of, of probably all Sundays throughout the year, it would have been way easier for you to create excuses as to why you shouldn't show up to church, but you guys decided to get your butts out of bed and you decided to make Grumlaw a part of your week. So honestly, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here today. Uh, today is an exciting day because today as we head into 2019, which is crazy, right, that we're almost through like 2018. I, I don't know about you guys, but for me, uh, 2018 has just blown by. It probably has something to do with the fact that we started a church in 2018. As I look around and I see a lot of your faces, a lot of you have been here since literally day one. And so God's been up to some pretty incredible things in 2018. Uh, as we look forward to 2019 here, uh, I'm confident that, that if you're anything like me, like I, I like go well into April still writing 2018 on like basically everything. Uh, it takes me like a good three or four months to adjust to this. But anyway, as we head here into 2019, uh, we're kicking off this new series, as we have already said, called Take Two. Now, I, I'm confident that all of you are probably familiar with that, with that phrase, Take Two. It's, it's a phrase that we commonly see used on film sets. Um, we would love to think that those seemingly perfect human beings that we see on our televisions, that we see on our screens, that we see in the movies, that they're basically flawless, that they get everything right the first time around. In fact, it's why we have these magazines like Us Weekly and, and People, and we have the E-Network, because we place those actors and actresses on such a pedestal. But we know that what we see on our screens, that is a finish, that is a rehearse, that is a polished product, that behind those beautiful, that behind those movie scene, moving scenes, there is a director yelling many, many times, cut take two, that even the best actors and the best actresses, people like George Clooney and, and Tom Hanks and Jennifer Lawrence and Paris Hilton, just kidding, making sure you're paying attention here, okay, even the best actors and the best actresses, they get it wrong sometimes. They don't get it right perfectly the first time around. They too have yelled at them many, many times, take two. And if we're honest in our own lives, very similarly, we rarely, when you think about it, we rarely get it right the first time. Now, now, that goes along with, with the little things in life. I mean, think about the first time, for those of you that can remember, that you jumped on a two-wheeler. I mean, remember how exciting that was? But it wasn't as if you jumped on that two-wheel bike and you just kind of sailed off into the sunset, right? There were some bumps and some bruises along the way. Maybe the first time that your parents let you dress yourself for school, you look back at those, those pictures and you're like, Mom, Dad, what were you thinking? Why did you let me go outside like this? But they're like, hey, you really wanted to do it. Uh, maybe even the first time brushing your teeth some of you, you, you probably can't remember that, but we're going through a lot of these firsts right now because I have a, a daughter that's about to turn three years old and she wants to do everything herself. And so every once in a while, she's like, Dad, Dad, I wanna brush my teeth. I'm like, okay. And so I give her the toothbrush and like I turn my back for two seconds and I'm like, how did toothpaste end up there? Like this is such a disaster. The first time that you drove a car, Maybe the first time that, that one of your parents even let you mow the lawn. My, my dad growing up was so particular about his lawn. In fact, so much so, and he still is actually to this day, he kind of takes pride in having the best looking lawn on the block despite the fact that he does not have underground sprinkling. Yeah, he's, he's one of those guys. So growing up, like we didn't really get to mow the lawn very much, even if we wanted to, because my dad was afraid that we would screw it up. So I bet growing up, I, I mowed the lawn probably less than five times. And every single time I mowed the lawn, it was a form of punishment. And I knew 
that, that my dad, if, if he was forcing me to mow the lawn, he was going to be watching like a hawk from the window in the house. And I would take advantage of the fact that, that, that I knew that he was really paranoid about his lawn. So as soon as I kind of sensed that my father was watching me, I'd start swerving that lawnmower. I'd start missing patch of grasses on purpose because I knew it was only a matter of time before my dad came busting out that front door. He was wearing all his nasty clothes to mow the lawn. He tapped me on the shoulder. He's like, son, I think you've learned your lesson. I'm like, I don't know about that. I feel like I taught you a lesson. Even New Year's Eve, right? Even New Year's Eve, like, like it's, don't think it's an accident that on today we're talking about what we're talking about. The day before the day where people kind of notoriously make really poor decisions. Why don't you raise your hand if you've ever made a terrible decision on New Year's Eve? I'm just kidding. Don't actually put your hands up right now. We rarely get it right with the little stuff, but also with the bigger, far more important stuff as well. I mean, in our marriages, I got married about eight years ago, and it wasn't like we said, okay, I do. We were on the altar, and then, you know, again, we just lived happily ever after. Eight years into this, I'm still figuring things out. And in fact, as I look around here, I'm sure some of you that have been married for 20, 30, 40, even 50 years, you would admit, right, that you don't still have everything perfectly figured out in your marriage with our jobs, choosing a career, figuring out even which church to attend. As a parent, I mean, come on, parents, let's be honest. Even if your kids sit next to you, you have no idea what you're doing. We don't have any idea what we're doing. With every new stage of life, we look at these kids and we're like, where did you even come from? I'm convinced that every parent, upon like 24 hours, within those first 24 hours of bringing your first child home, we all have this moment, because I had this moment, where I looked down at my daughter and I was like, oh no, I can't take you back. You are now my responsibility. I have to take care of you. You you are now under my supervision. And there is no amount of parenting books. There were no number of parenting classes that could have prepared you for that moment. And I think in all these moments, I I like to picture God kind of looking down at us. This God who's omniscient. He's all-knowing. This God who's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. Looking down at all of us going, cut, take two. Now, like those actors, like those actresses who mess up their lines, who screw up that facial expression, in our lives, most of the time, I don't think we're trying to screw up on purpose. We're not trying to mess up our first take. It is like 99% of the time, it's just that. It's an accident. It's a mishap. It's a part of life. It's learning valuable life lessons. It's figuring life out. It's learning from your mistakes. But and you probably figured there would be a but because I said 99% of the time, that there's that other 1% of the times, those times where we are consciously choosing to mess up, where in a way we're actually planning our mistakes. We know what we are about to do is wrong. We know it's probably not what is best for us, but yet we go ahead and we do it anyway. In other words, we know the right way, but we choose our way. I mean, we know the path that would be best for our lives. And take God out of the situation for a moment. We talked a little bit about this last week on Christmas. I mean, you know it's not even what's best for you, but yet you go forward and you do it anyway. We continue plowing through regardless of what might stand in our path. We are like laser focused on our agenda. We are essentially creating our second take. And we'll do this with the smaller, less important details of life, but also with the far more important, the bigger things in our lives as well. About two years ago, um, my wife and I, we, we took a, an anniversary trip down to Florida. In fact, we invited our really co- close friends whom you guys know now, Lance and Lauren. Lance is uh, one of the pastors on staff here as well. We said, hey, we're going to be taking this trip down to Florida. Can you guys meet us there? Because at the time, they were leaving, living in Guatemala. And they're like, for sure, yeah, like you already paid for the housing. Like we're not fools. Yeah, we'll, we'll come and join you there. So they came and they, they, we had an awesome, awesome couple days uh, in Florida. But on the last night, we went out to eat. 
And uh, I remember sitting there, uh, and my wife, she reached across the table to show Lance and Lauren something on, on her phone. And as she pulled the phone back across the table, she knocked over the pop that was sitting in front of her, which then went all over both of our laps, all down our legs. We were both wearing shorts. We both had flip-flops on, and then, you know, that film starts to get developed between your toes and, like, the flip-flops. It's, like, not a very good feeling. A lot of you are like, yeah, I, I know that. Why did you have to explain it in such detail? But it's really gross, right? Like, and so I'm sitting there, and because I'm such a loving husband... I looked at my wife, I patted her on the shoulder, I said, honey, it's okay. I know that that was an accident. Not how I reacted at all. In fact, what I actually said to my wife in that moment, I said, why did you do that? And she, of course, looked back at me like, do you think I planned this? Like this was the game plan going into the evening, we're gonna go out to dinner and then I'm just gonna dump a pop onto your lap. But don't you worry, I kept digging myself farther and farther into a hole. I kept making more and more comments. My wife says it was for about five minutes. I say it was like two minutes, but to her it probably felt longer, so I totally get that. But I kept making comment after comment after comment, making it worse and worse and worse. Meanwhile, poor Lance and Lauren are sitting across the table like, okay, just like looking at their phones. How can we get out of this situation? Probably looking for flights out of Florida. I mean, so uncomfortable. And then I ended this at the end of this five minutes or two minutes, depending on who you ask. I actually looked at her and said this, and this is so embarrassing. But I said to her, I wish we weren't even at dinner right now. <laughs> I'm three years old, okay? Like, we all have these moments, okay? And so, I'm so frustrated, but finally, it was like God kind of gave me the claw on the back of my neck. Again, you parents know what I'm talking about. You know, you give your kids the claw on the back of their neck, and I finally realized what a jerk I was being, and so I did finally take that, took that deep breath. I looked at my wife, and I apologized to her. Then I looked across the table, and I apologized to Lance and Lauren for making things so uncomfortable, and then we actually ended up having a pretty good evening. Now, a lot of us have, have probably had those moments in our lives where our emotions kind of tend to get the best of us. I need at least a couple of you to nod your head so I don't feel like such a dirt ball. Okay, there's three of you. Awesome. Uh, where these emotions kind of grab a hold of us, where, where, where fortunately for us, typically a public apology, typically expressing sincere remorse does the trick. But there's also the bigger stuff in life as well, where, where God is calling you to make drastic changes in your marriage, where, where God's nudging you maybe to transfer schools, where you know you should set up certain guardrails, certain boundaries in your life. You, you know that you should have these filters on all your electronic devices. You know you need to stop going out to eat with people of the opposite gender that aren't your spouse. You know you need to set up financial guardrails. God's telling you to stop dating that person. God's calling you to get into a connect group. God's been nudging you for months to serve on a team here. God's pushing you to make a career change, these bigger things. And oftentimes we just sit there and completely ignore him. We're choosing our way rather than his way. We know the right way, but yet we just plow forward with our agenda. Isn't that so interesting? And I, I talk about this all the time because I really do find it mind-boggling how foolish I can be, how foolish truly we all can be, that, that we have this loving God, this God that is all-powerful, all-knowing, merciful, our creator, who loves us so, so much and truly does want what is best for our lives. I'm telling you, that represents one of the most seminal moments of my life. When I recognize that the reason that God wants me to do certain things and doesn't want me to do other things, it isn't because God's a control freak and he's obsessed with rules. It's so much better than that. It's because he's for me. And he has this ability to look around the corner and see that light at the end of the tunnel and tell me, hey, Shay, if you do that, it's going to lead to regret. 
If you don't do that, that's actually going to work out better for you. He has our best interest in mind. He wants us to have the most fulfilling, joy-filled, purpose-filled life imaginable. And he clearly tries to guide us, corral us, nudge us in certain directions, tries to get us to make decisions that are going to lead to a better life, and yet all the time, we ignore them. We, we sit there, and we might not actually say it out loud, but, but we know, we're, we're thinking to ourselves, okay, God, I know where you want me to go. I understand what it is that you want me to do, but God, you know, I kind of like what I'm doing right now. I, I kind of like what's happening in my life right now, so I'm going to kind of just keep going down my path. I mean, it's crazy. We are essentially saying to God, our creator, sit. You stay in your corner. I'll call you when I need you. In fact, I'll call you when I need you to bail me out of this mess that I am creating for myself right now. We are consciously, knowingly creating our second take. And and here's what I know, and in fact, you know, because this is no new information. Every one of us know this. It's been true about humanity from day one, and I suspect it will always be the case. When we choose our way, when we choose our way, it never works out. When we go our way, when we plow forward with our agenda, it never works out. We literally saw this with the first human beings that ever stepped foot on earth, with Adam and Eve. God gave them one simple command. He's like, hey God, you guys, this, this whole place, it's up for grabs. You can do whatever you want here, but there's just like this one tree. Don't go eat from that one tree. Otherwise, have at it. What do they do? They go and they eat from that one tree. And there were consequences for their behavior. Namely, sin entered into the world. They suddenly felt shame. They recognized that they were naked. It ruined, it tarnished their relationship with their creator. We, we see it even with some of these Old Testament heroes. For those of you that grew up going to Sunday school, even people like David, the same David from David and Goliath, the guy who took down the giant against all the odds. There was a certain point in time in, in David's life where he ends up sleeping with another man's wife. And when you know it, he actually gets her pregnant. And in an effort to cover up the entire thing, he has this woman's husband killed. Does God look past that? They kind of ignore telling you these things in Sunday school. But does God look past that? No. There were consequences for his behavior. His child died of an illness. For the rest of his life, he was at war with his enemies. Now, those are just biblical examples. And some of you probably could care less about biblical examples. But guess what? Your lives are filled with those examples as well. I've already told you a couple of mine. I don't really feel the need to air any more of my dirty laundry, but you know it never works out. And so what we're gonna do here over these next couple weeks is dive into this whole issue of, of us constantly screwing up, of we as human beings choosing our way rather than God's way, and in turn looking at how God responds to all of that. And by the end of this, hopefully be able to wrestle this question to the ground. Because of of God's grace and because of God's mercy, how are you going to live your life differently? Are you going to live your life differently? Now, this whole situation uh, that I've kind of painted to this point is beautifully illustrated by this uh, this guy that goes by the name of Jonah. Now, Jonah lived about 785 BC, and, and what we will see this morning is that despite the fact that this guy was roaming around earth literally thousands of years ago, there are so many parallels that we can draw to our own lives. But before we go there and we jump into the life of Jonah, I'd like to just take a quick moment, pause, pray for you, pray for me, so allow me to do that now. Father, we thank you that you are a God of second takes, um, that you didn't just write us off when, when we screw up, when we knowingly uh, go in the opposite direction of you, but instead you give us second and third and fourth and fifth and so on chances 
Uh, You're so merciful, you're so gracious towards us, and if we ever doubt that, we need not look any farther than your son, who was given to every single one of us, so that we might still be made right with you, so that we could still have a relationship with you. And so, Father, I just ask that this morning, wherever everyone's at on this whole spiritual journey, that at the end of this, they'd be willing to take their next step, whatever that might look like for them. That they wouldn't walk out of here and just think, okay, that was nice and nothing actually changes in their lives, but they would take a real and a practical step as a result of what you want to say to them this morning. It's in your name we pray, amen. Now, my guess would be that most of you, regardless of if you grew up going to church or this is literally your first time stepping into a church in a long, long time, you are probably at least vaguely familiar with this story of Jonah, the guy who at a certain point in his life gets swallowed by a fish or a whale, depending on how you remember the story. He lives in the belly of this fish uh, uh, for three days and three nights, and eventually he gets spit back out. And, And regardless of how much or how little you know about that story, I'd like all of us to just try to do our best to just wipe the slate clean this morning. Let's just start fresh. And I'll even go so far as to say this. Even if you don't think this story actually happened, if you think it's more fiction than fact, I don't think it really matters for the sake of our conversation this morning. There's still so much that we can pull out from the life of Jonah. So we'll start here in Jonah chapter one. This is a story that we find here in the Old Testament, which is kind of the first half of this book that we often refer to as the Bible. It says, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Now, now sometimes we can kind of make this excuse that we're not really sure if we're hearing from God or we weren't really sure if that was God speaking to us. Like maybe at a certain point in your life, you started to sense that you weren't supposed to be dating the person that you were dating at that point anymore. Like, like God kind of told you like, hey, that's not supposed to be your boyfriend. That's not supposed to be your girlfriend anymore. But you didn't really want to break up with that person yet because you just kind of liked being with that person. You were maybe really physically, really even maybe emotionally attracted to that person. So you just kind of blew it off. In fact, you kind of liked the way that it made you feel when you went out in public with that person because you're like, all, all these people would give you looks like, man, how in the heck did he pull that off? How did she pull that off, right? There's always a winner and a loser in a relationship. Some of you don't know that. I'm the winner in my relationship, so that's okay, right? So like, you like the way that it made you feel. Maybe actually you, you made the mistake of sleeping with that person. So again, there was this strong emotional connection that, that was there that's never supposed to actually exist in dating relationships in the first place. I mean, there might be all these reasons, but basically you didn't want to break up with that person, even though you knew very clearly that you weren't supposed to be with that person anymore. You might've even used God as an excuse. You might've said things like, I, I just don't know. I, I need to keep praying about this. Meanwhile, God's up in heaven looking down at you like, are you kidding me? I told you two days into this, this was a terrible idea. Now we are two years into it. Okay, now that's what happens a lot of times in our lives. Jonah did not have that luxury. Jonah was very clearly spoken to by God. It was a out loud, audible voice, and he asked him to do something that I don't think would have gotten any of us very excited. Now, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, I think we would all admit that sin is obviously pretty rampant in our society. I mean, we see things like child abuse and pornography and murder and and terrorism and and sex trafficking. Our world is filled with violence and and, and hatred and corruption and all forms of debauchery. And I don't know about you, but every once in a while, when I come across one of these stories, whether it's something I'm looking at on my phone, whether it's something that comes across the TV, like I get frustrated sometimes, particularly when the person that is being uh, hurt or or offended is, is a child. And If I'm honest, I I will sometimes wish ill will against the perpetrators. I'll kind of sit there and think to myself, God, there doesn't seem to be any hope for this individual. Why wouldn't you just take that person out? 
Now imagine in the midst of those types of thoughts, you're again, you're thinking again like, okay, this, this person's really frustrating me. I can't believe that God would allow that to happen. I can't believe that this person's even allowed to, to roam the face of the earth. Imagine in the midst of those types of thoughts, God comes down in an out loud voice and says to you, hey, I want you to go tell that person about my love. I, I, I want you to go tell that person about my son. But don't be all doom and gloom and all judgment. Let them know that if they turn from their ways, that I'll give them a second chance. That I'm full of mercy, that I'm full of compassion, that I'm full of forgiveness. Let them know that, 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 that if they turn, that they recognize that what they have done is wrong, that I will absolutely have mercy on them. And this is precisely what God is asking Jonah to do. Assyria, which, which Nineveh was the capital of, was the rising power of Jonah's day. It was the most powerful of all nations, but it was also the most wicked. Idolatry, prostitution, witchcraft, cruelty were the norm. Not to mention that Jonah grew up in an environment where he was taught to hate the Assyrians. It would be fair to say that Jonah was racist towards the Assyrians. He resented them. He hated the Assyrians. And so his fear wasn't walking in there delivering this message of judgment and they might get mad at him and lash out on him. His fear was that he would walk in there, deliver this message, and they would actually turn. They would actually start living their lives differently. And he didn't believe that they deserved God's mercy. He certainly didn't believe that they deserved God's forgiveness. So God asked Jonah to just trot right in there. Mind you, it's about a 500-mile journey and they didn't have cars back then, so it's a long, long trip. And start telling everyone, hey, how you're living is wrong, but don't worry, don't worry. If you change your ways, God will definitely show forgiveness to you. It's not something that very many of us would have been excited about. And in fact, Jonah wasn't. It says, but Jonah got up and he went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Now, I grew up in an environment uh, in a home where, where this was a popular story. In fact, if you're anything like me and you grew up going to Sunday school and vacation Bible school, like Jonah was a popular one, right? Because there's nothing that captivates a kid more than telling them that a guy lived in a fish for three days, okay? So every time, whether I was eight years old or, or, or present day and I would come across th this passage, I would think to myself, are you out of your mind? Even like eight-year-old Che would think, to get away from God, God's very clearly telling you to do something and you think you are somehow going to get away from God. I mean, Jonah, you're, you're kind of a knucklehead. I have a question for all of us, and this one is a real question. I actually want you to raise your hand. Uh, how many of you, by a show of hands, at some point, let's say between the ages of like five and 16, decided that you were gonna run away? Even if it only like lasted for like 30 seconds. I mean, come on, raise your hand. Look around real quick. Look at how incredibly common this is. You can go ahead and put your hands down. It's a very common thing. You know, when we're younger, we, we, we want to run away. Now, the interesting thing, when we run away, it's far more about the away than the two. All you can think about is, I want to get away from my parents. I want to get away from my brother. I want to get away from my siblings. I want to get away from this problem. You're not really thinking all that much about where you are headed to. And hence, why you get to the end of your driveway, maybe even some of you made it to the end of your street, and you're suddenly like, well, now what? And you put your tail between your legs and then you walk back home and nobody's even any of the wiser that even left because you were gone for such a short period of time. You knew you wanted to get away, but you weren't really sure where you were headed to. Now, you probably know where, where I'm going with this. It's so easy to look at Jonah and think, you know, what a fool. Jonah, you, you can't run away from God. But as we've already discussed, we run away, we ignore 
We, we, we pretend it's not him, however it's manifested itself in your life all the time. When, when, when God gives us direction, you know, sometimes we, we run in fear. Sometimes it's, it's stubbornness. Other times we just feel like maybe God is asking far too much of us, but we often run. And as we've already said, it, it never works out. In fact, it usually, as we'll see here in the life of Jonah, it typically makes things far worse. Running has a cost. There is always a price to pay with disobedience, with running. We're often very quick. It's ironic with us. We're quick to weigh the cost of obeying. But we typically completely neglect the cost of running, of disobeying. It's far better, as, as so many of your lives are a testament to. It's so much better to just obey from the start. And oftentimes we'll claim ignorance. I just didn't know. Yes, you did. You know. Because it's not a Christian thing. It's a human being thing. Because every single one of us has this thing that's built inside of our heads called a conscience. That intuitively tells us toward, steers us towards what is right and away from what is wrong. We know. It says he went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. It's kind of a strange word, Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. So he runs from God, not smart, but come on, we all do it. And he hoped to escape from the Lord by, as it says there, sailing. Maybe if he would have picked a faster mode of transportation, he would have stood a chance, but I suppose he was working with all that he had at that point. And big surprise, wouldn't you know it, God found him, just like God has found you. And because he ran, again, there was a consequence. This, this storm comes up out of nowhere. And so now, he has not only put his life in jeopardy, but the entire crew's life in jeopardy as well. And so they start doing that, what, what a crew does even now in present day when, when a storm comes out of nowhere. They start lightening the load. They start chucking everything overboard in an effort to navigate the seas a little bit better with a lighter ship. But that doesn't work. So this crew of people, these guys that aren't even religious in the least, they start praying to every God that they can literally think of. They're not sure that there's a God out there, but they're hoping that if there is one, maybe whatever one they happen to rattle off in that moment will listen. Now in the middle of all this, Jonah is somehow sleeping bit of a head scratcher, but they go and they wake up Jonah and like, Jonah, we don't understand how you're sleeping, but that's beside the point right now. You need to wake up and pray to whatever God it is that you worship because we are all going to die out here. It says, then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Now, casting lots is definitely not something that we're trying to advocate around here at Grumlaw. In fact, Anytime you begin to, you know, you know, mix up, you know, magic and witchcraft with Christianity, you're probably headed down a wrong path. But remember, these crew, that they weren't religious guys. They were relying on their superstitions for an answer. But wouldn't you know it, this whole casting lots thing, this superstition thing, it actually ends up working, but it only works because God intervenes. And this would have been so evident to Jonah in this moment. I'm telling you, when he first saw them pull out those lots, he would have been sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, I am in the clear. There ain't no way they're ever going to find out that this was my fault. But as after lot after lot after lot turned up and started pointing to Jonah, he would have had this moment where he thought, oh my goodness, 
I am in trouble. I clearly cannot escape from God. If he's even working through magic right now, I am in trouble. And so now, since the crew knows why the storm's happening, why they are essentially being punished, well, you probably know what happens next. It says, since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? And Jonah says, throw me into the sea and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Now, the irony here is is pretty incredible. Jonah is willing in this moment to give his life for this group of sailors, for this crew on this ship that he met just hours earlier, something he was not willing to do days earlier for the Assyrians. His hatred, his animosity towards the Assyrians, it clouded his perspective now, interestingly enough, this, this irreligious group of sailors, they, they didn't throw them overboard right away. They continued to try and fight the storm, and it's only until they realized, okay, this is last resort. We're clearly going to die out here. We might as well throw this guy into the sea that they actually do that. It says, then the sailors picked Jonah up, and they threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. I want you to imagine trying to be a part of that moment where where, where you are out at sea. I mean, some of you have maybe been out on a rocky ship. It's a pretty miserable experience. You're getting seasick. You know, the waves get a little bigger. My wife and I one time went on on, on a cruise ship and it was like, it got rocky one night and it was like not even that bad, but I was just wishing like, oh my gosh, I wish I could die right now because I just felt so sick. But imagine you're literally on a ship where they have thrown everything overboard. The, The waves are still hitting it. The ship is falling apart. You are convinced that you are going to die that you are going to drown at sea. And in that moment, your moral compass is going all over the place because you're weighing this whole thing. Okay, do we really throw this guy overboard? Because what if we do and it doesn't work? What if he hits the water and then the storm keeps coming? Even though we don't necessarily believe there's a God out there, I mean, what happens if there is a God out there? I mean, what's that gonna do to us in the afterlife? But after they realize that, okay, listen, we have exhausted every other option, they finally throw him into the water and the minute, the second that Jonah hits the water, the storm stops at once. Those men who are far from God, they were immediately changed. And I don't want you to miss this. God is able to use our mistakes to draw others to him. It, It might be painful, but admitting our faults, admitting our sins, admitting our mistakes, it can be such a powerful example to those who are far from God. It's why we make such a big deal of baptism around here. It's it's why if you wanna get baptized at Grumla, we make you share your story on camera. It's not because we're trying to make it difficult, it's because we are so convinced that when you share your story, it's gonna have an impact on another person that's sitting out here. It's gonna help another story be told. It can be such a powerful witness to other people. So that's the beginning of this story of of a man who ran. Many of you probably have similar stories where, where you ran from God and you quickly regretted not just listening to him in the first place. Many of us, in fact, I would guess that most of us that are sitting here today probably have an area in our life, some of us big, some of us little, like right now where you are ignoring God where you are blatantly deciding to head in the opposite direction. But keep in mind, and this is so important, you cannot seek God's love and run from him at the same time. These two things are are mutually exclusive. 
You can't seek his love and head in the opposite direction at the same time. What right now in your life is God telling you to do? Is he telling you maybe not to do? I want to end with this this passage of scripture that we find here in in, in 1 John. Uh, This is a passage that God kept bringing up over and over and over as I was preparing for this message. And if I'm being completely honest with all of you, I I didn't really want to share it because it can sound so harsh, so just so blunt. Uh, This is written by one of Jesus's 12 disciples, one of the guys that spent, you know, virtually every waking moment with Jesus when he was here on earth. And he writes this letter to these early Christians, uh, these people that were converting to Christianity in the first century in an area called Ephesus, which would be in uh, present day Turkey. And he has this to say, he says, and we can be sure that we know him being God. And this is true for all of us. We can be sure that we know God if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person's a liar and isn't living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know for certain. That is how we know we are living in him. Again, I hesitate to use this because it sounds so harsh, but we don't want to be a church that hides this stuff from people. This verse is, is pretty cut and dry. Believing in God means doing what he says. Our actions, how we respond when he calls, it reveals if we actually trust him. It reveals the type of relationship that we actually have with him. So, so where are you ignoring God? What, what needs to change Starting today, where is God yelling at you? Cut, take two. I'd be willing to bet that that in a room this size with this many people sitting here, there are some of you that literally have plans for tomorrow night that you need to change, that you know exactly where it's going to lead. And maybe today would, would be the first day in your life where you start saying no to you. And you start saying yes to God, but not because he's a control freak. It's so much better than that. It's because you recognize that he's for you. And he absolutely has your best interest in mind. And he loves you enough to tell you, hey, you really shouldn't do that. And you really should do this. Even as scary as it sounds in the moment, just do it. I'm telling you, it's going to make your life better. And if you ever second guess that I have your best interest in mind, remember, I gave you my son. I sacrificed him on a cross for you. I am more for you than you could possibly imagine. Now, it's worth noting that this story with Jonah, it does have a happy ending. He spends those three days and three nights in the fish's belly after he gets thrown overboard. He lives, and he eventually carries out, you know, this mission that God has put before him. He goes and he delivers this message to the Assyrians, and wouldn't you know it, they actually listen. I mean, this massive power, the most powerful political power at that point in history, they listen to Jonah, and they turn from their evil ways, And wouldn't you know it, God forgives and he shows mercy and he shows compassion just like he has done with every single one of us. Because remember, he wants what's best for you and that's why he is asking for control of your life and that is why he is trying to get you. He's trying to do everything that he can to get you to go his way rather than your way. Let me pray.